Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hey everyone, this is Steven from The Close-Up Magic. I really appreciate you all tuning into this week's episode. We had a great conversation with Josh Cohen. Just wanted to take a moment to let you know that I had some audio issues on my end, so unfortunately, I had to use my computer microphone to capture this audio uh, on my side. Um, everyone sounds great. Uh, you just won't hear the standard quality from me that you normally do. So um, forgive me, and we'll get back to that quality on the next show. Uh, please enjoy the show. Josh was great. Luke joined us as well. And um, sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. The Lakers, I don't know if they want to foul at this point. Everybody's on their feet in the Amway Center. Vucevic with a catch. He'll turn. Fire! Oh. Pure magic! <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Welcome back to another episode of the Close-Up Magic. Uh, today we have another really fun episode. Um, the last couple of episodes have been great. We've had Dan Savage. We've had Josh Robbins. Um, now we have another writer of the Orlando Magic, Josh Cohen, joining us today. We also have one of the regular co-hosts, Luke Smith, that you guys are familiar with on the close-up magic. Um, Luke, how is it? You just transitioned back to Australia. How you doing over there, man? I'm good, man. Uh, this is my very last full day in hotel quarantine. So tomorrow I get out. Great, um, great. Glad you're surviving. And see uh, this, the listeners can't see it, but this, everything you guys see behind me, this is all I've been allowed to do for 14 days. That's, wow, that's that's deep, dude. That's but yeah, but I've survived. Now. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good, Stephen. Thank you. Good, good. And uh, listeners and Josh, welcome to the show. Appreciate you taking the time to join us this evening. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I really appreciate you guys having me aboard for this show, and uh, everything's going smoothly. Obviously, still with some of the restrictions and protocols, but I'm doing well. Family's doing well, so, so far, so good. Hopefully we'll get out of this uh, pandemic sooner rather than later with the vaccines now coming out, becoming more widespread. So let's hope for the best. Yeah, I'm feeling that. And um, 
for any of my any of the listeners that care i'm doing okay too um we we are uh i mean i think we're all on a little bit of a high today uh, because nikola vucevic just got named an all-star last night and that's super fun um for all the listeners we're recording this february 24th uh in the evening um but before we get too much into the magic basketball Josh, we just want to get to know you a little bit more as a person since, you know, most of us just read what you write and don't really know much about the writer themselves. Um, and I don't know, I've always kind of said this, I feel like who, the people that cover the team are part of the Magic family. Um, you know, it's the, the the Magic fam hashtag that goes around Magic Twitter and all that stuff. So. Josh, how did you get into journalism and how did you work your way working with the magic and, you know, sort of all that, that background? Yeah. So I went to college at Rutgers University in New Jersey. And during my time there essentially is when I realized that journalism was the field that I wanted to pursue. I did study that in college, got a degree in it, and I became passionate about it, whether it was sports or news or whatever it else that I had the opportunity to cover, I would say that my real foot in the door with sports journalism came covering high school sports in a particular area of New Jersey, Middlesex County, and then more specific to that, uh, Woodbridge Township, New Jersey. Uh, Any listeners out there from the area will know where I'm talking about. But the reason this particular town meant a lot to me was my cousin, both my cousins actually, although one was only involved at the time, was a high school baseball player for Woodbridge High School. And so on my own terms, I decided to get involved with this school's sports program, football, basketball, baseball, whatever I can get my hands on. Unfortunately, this township had a local access TV network. And I sent an email to them back then. This was back in 2003. So it's kind of going far back. But I just simply asked, like, is there any opportunity to announce games for the sports programs at the high schools? And they were quick to respond and like, yeah, we're looking for somebody. Just go, just so happened. I just so happened to email without even knowing that this was an, even a possibility. So I got really excited about that. And so I announced games for this network for three years. In addition to that, I would write about the different sporting events in that community. And it kind of spread from there. Uh, not only was I covering sports in Woodbridge Township, but I was also doing stuff throughout the county and then even a little bit in the entire state. Uh, subsequent to that, I got involved with NBA.com, uh, writing articles for the main league homepage. And that was a blast. Um, that's where I met Dan Savage, who obviously I work with now at OrlandoMagic.com. And that was uh, an extremely exciting opportunity. Got to meet a lot of great people form a lot of great friends and to this day dan and i always talk about the old days at the the news desk is what it was called uh where we worked out at nba.com and we were there late night we would order dinner together i mean a whole the whole package and it was just a awesome experience and something i'll always cherish for forever and the people that i got to meet so that was essentially how i got involved in the nba and then orlando magic so Dan had taken a job with the Magic, which I'm sure he told you on his episode. And the story basically goes, he had just essentially started with the Magic. This was in 2009. So everybody knows, Magic fans know that that was the finals year. So in the middle of the playoffs, uh, there was a colleague who was with the company for a few years after I had started. But in 2009, she got an injury. 
She had to be out for a little while. So they needed some help. And Dan knew me from NBA.com. So he calls me up and he's like, listen, we need some assistance. Would you want to participate in some of the coverage during this playoff run? Little did anybody know. And I remember this was the first round of the playoffs against Philadelphia. Little did anybody know that they were going to end up going to the finals. Of course, they were a good team, but nobody really anticipated them making it to the finals. Usually Cleveland or Boston were the favorites come out of the East that year. So uh, the journey began. Uh, Dan brought me down to Orlando. Uh, got a whole taste of the area. Got a whole taste of the Magic experience. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I was in awe at every corner. No matter what we did, no matter where I was, I was just flabbergasted about what I was experiencing. And then a few months later, Dan gets promoted. His original spot opens up and bang, like I'm now full time. And this is now early 2010. So that's how I uh, came aboard on a full-time basis and I'm doing it ever since. That's pretty awesome. You've been with the team for, I mean, quite a while, you know, the the highs of the highs, the lows of the lows, and now this trajectory back up. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Luke. It, it seemed like you wanted to jump in. Josh, are you, do you live in like Orlando proper or are you a little bit out of town? Uh, I'm pretty much, I'm, I'm like 15 minutes outside the city. I'm in Maitland. So okay. it's uh, pretty near the downtown area where the arena yeah, is. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm, yeah okay. I'm in the, I'm in the region for sure. Cool. Um, so we, we've asked this to yeah, some of the longtime reporters that have been with, with, with the team. During that, like the stretch that you've been in, right? The highs of the highs, the lows of the lows, there's been some crazy moments during the team. Um, and then there's been just some awkwardness with the team. What are some moments that stick out to you? And uh, I think the most famous one that maybe you can touch on, and if you have more, please, please let's you know bring those up if you'd like. But how were you with uh, Stan Van Gundy and Dwight on that day? Um, what, yeah. Were you there that day? What was your experience like? That's so. That's so I weird. was. I was actually working on an article offsite, so I wasn't present at the practice facility as it was happening. I know Dan was. And he told me the whole story. Plus, it's on video. But yeah. he told me what was happening live. I was working on a different feature at the time. Of course, this was back in 2012. But yeah, that was obviously awkward. But I thought Stan handled it as well as he could, and the circumstances were a little unique. And the amazing thing about it, of course, a few months later, Dwight gets traded to the Lakers in that amazing blockbuster 14 trade in August of 2012. And who comes out of that deal? You know, Nikola Vucevic. Yeah. So uh, everything panned out very well in that regard. And uh, that was a unique day, a unique moment. But I thought for the most part, everybody handled it as well as they possibly could. Oh, sure. Have you had any other like positive or negative unique moments that like particularly stick out that you've had a chance to cover? Well, I've been to several all-star weekends, which are always a treat, whether it was for the all-star game itself or for the other festivities, whether it was the dunk contest with Aaron Gordon, the rising oh, star, we had a few players participate in that and the three point contest as well as uh, Ryan Anderson did it one year, but that's always a special time. And I've been to several of those. I will say it's much more recent. I mean, you could go back to the 2009, 2010 era, which of course brought so many incredible memories, but I'll tell you what, the finish to that 2018, 19 season, the last month of that year, as I'm sure you guys remember, it's not that far off. Literally every day felt like a playoff time. Uh, I remember 
I talked about this with Dan actually about a week ago. So I can't stop thinking. I actually, to be completely honest, I'll still rewatch some of those games from that season on YouTube just because even though it's only been two years, it still brings back so many fond memories. But we had a game against Miami late March, started a four-game road trip, mm-hmm. and we had just come up a big victory over Philadelphia. I don't know if you remember this, but I was on the trip to Miami, and uh, you could just feel it in the plane, the hotel, as you walked into the arena in Miami at American Airlines. This was the biggest game, regular season game, that I can recall in Magic history, maybe ever, considering the circumstances. The team hadn't been in the playoffs since 2012. They were desperate. They were so fueled to finally get back into the postseason. And at the time, the Heat were a game and a half ahead of the Magic for the eighth spot. Mm-hmm. So this game felt like you win, you keep going, you lose. It gets very, very difficult to get yourself back into contention. And that game... The Heat went up by double digits at the end of the first quarter, and you all felt like, oh, it's just not going to happen. It's not our day. It's not, not going to be our season after all. But they stuck with it and slowly but surely took the lead in the second half. And, and I remember the postgame locker room was just jubilation. It was as if we won a playoff series. Uh, it was kind of pandemonium, just getting back to the bus, the plane. And remember, this is the beginning of a four-game road trip. So we still have three more road games left after that. But that to me was the moment where we felt like legitimately this is going to be a playoff year. And of course, that's exactly what transpired. That's awesome. Go ahead, Luke. I, Josh, I, I could agree entirely. Like even from a fan perspective, I remember that season. It felt as if just the players started speaking differently. It just felt like Orlando, Orlando to me throughout those rebuilding I don't know. I feel like there's been ebbs and flows of what they've considered rebuilding, but we always seem to come from this kind of beaten perspective. But I remember that season, there was a shift and I, I can't remember if I'm right. You guys might remember better than me, but I feel like we jumped from ninth. We didn't actually hit eighth. We jumped up to seventh or sixth with like a pair of wins, maybe later in the season. Yeah. And I just remember it being like, you just saw the team shift and like how we galvanized that year. There was a, there was a win we had over Boston where Jonathan Isaac had the night of his life. And like something in the second half of that season felt like for me as a fan, all the times I've watched post Dwight, that was the most exciting time. A hundred percent. And obviously then the, the win over Toronto, which I was so lucky to be at being a magic fan living in Toronto. That was like one of the best experiences of my life. But that, that second half of that season, I can't agree with you enough was, I, I don't think you could explain it to someone who wasn't a magic fan, how fun that felt just watching. Yeah. I mean, they won 22 of their final 31 games in the regular season, which Incredible. is astonishing when you consider where the team had been the prior few years. And you know, they traded for Markel Fultz, that trade deadline, but he didn't play that year. So they didn't make any dramatic moves to change the trajectory of the season. They just simply gelled. The chemistry evolved and Steve Clifford got him playing amazing basketball. Defensively, they were one of the elite in the league in the second half of the year. Jonathan Isaac started to emerge, like you mentioned, and the team just really clicked. And it really was this. Okay. In the end, they were a seven seed. They lost in the first round of Toronto. You look at it and say, all right, you know, the, Many teams make the playoffs, big, big deal. But there was something different about this particular season for this particular team under these particular circumstances that made it really, really spectacular. I, th- I think 
you know, at least from my perspective, I I could feel the shift as well around that Miami game. It's like it, the, the tension you're talking about is something I think that I and other fans felt too, particularly with that game. I believe they were even like retiring someone's jersey that night, like Chris Bosh. Chris, Chris Bosh. It was Chris yeah. Bosh's name. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, the, the I, I felt that for sure. I, 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 I think, I don't know. One of the reasons why I think maybe that season and that turning, that, that run, that stretch felt so good is because new coach, we're still relatively new front office. And it just kind of felt like, okay, you know, Isaac is starting to play good. Um, there's, there's faults too, but he's not playing still in the background, but it's just like, okay, we're going somewhere. You know, the, the, the end of those horrible years are finally behind us where I don't know if I necessarily felt that like day one, when the new front office came, um, it's like, okay, you still got something to prove. And I was like, oh, they're they're proving it. Something is happening. The culture is shifting. Yeah. Um, and it felt really good for sure. Uh, I, I remember feeling ecstatic after that win as well. And then obviously yeah. I think it was Charlotte when we, when- Last game of the season. Yeah, the yeah. Terrence Ross 35 point game. Yeah, he, yeah. he went crazy. And uh, Vooch didn't even play that night. And no. Still win. That secured the seven seed. So if right. they had lost that game, they probably would have been the eight seed and played Milwaukee. Of course, they ended up playing them in the playoffs a year later. But sure. uh, that win helped them play Toronto, which I guess it didn't make a difference in the end. But yeah, the, the Boston game is what secured the playoff uh, spot. And uh, then that led right into the Charlotte game. And so just euphoria throughout the organization. Were you at that Toronto game, Josh? Yeah, yeah. You're talking about the DJ Augustine game winner game? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. I was at that game, and uh, yeah. it, that was another amazing moment. We'll always go down in, in Magic Laura. I mean, yeah, it was euphoria in the locker room after that game as I well. And because the team had been playing so well in the second half of the year, in that moment, there was an honest feeling that we had a chance to win the series. Now, of course, Toronto wins in five, goes on to win the championship. Now we all realize how good Kawhi Leonard truly is. But in that moment... Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You thought maybe. I mean, yeah. because remember, game one, 
Vooch didn't play that. He didn't play that well all series. Right. But you figured he would come come on later in the series once he started figuring out Marcus Sol and all that. But yeah, it really felt like we were just so confident. The confidence yeah. was soaring. And when you win a game like that on the road in the playoffs after winning 22 out of 31 to get in, I think there was honest feeling that like, if, if not winning the series, pushing it further deeper into the series. So but it was a great moment for sure. It's, I've it's talked in- about it. Go ahead, Luke. I've talked about it on this podcast before, but being in the stands that night, like Toronto fans love them. I lived in that city for two years. I've got a very big soft spot for the Raptors, but that fan base is, very traumatized by game one situations. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I had been going to every Magic game in the regular season in Toronto every time. I'd roll in in my Shaq jersey or my Penny jersey. Everyone was always like, oh, you, you know, ask questions, really polite. Walking out of that building that night that DJ hit that shot, I was getting, like, abused. Like, people yeah. were so touchy about it. And mm-hmm. me growing up being a Magic fan, moving to a city, and then all of a sudden – I'm at a Magic playoff game because I didn't know they were going to be playing the Raptors that year. Just I was just jubilant, and I just like I'm walking out. And I'm just hearing this flurry of abuse from left and right, and it was just it was hilarious. Like, but like nothing I've ever experienced. Sorry, Stephen. No, it's fine. I was actually going to bring sort of like on that same topic because we all three had very different experiences, right? Yeah. You were you were at the game, Luke, um, in the opponent's arena. My dad was visiting me from Florida. We watched the first half at my house. And then we went to game one of the golden state warriors versus the Clippers series that night. And we watched the end of the second or end of the third quarter and all the fourth quarter at one of the bars in the arena. And even that entire bar, when DJ Augustine hit it, just went crazy. And these are all warrior fans, right? I'm not decked out in magic year. It was like my most mellow game. I was wearing just a magic hat. Um, and Josh, you said the locker room afterwards was ecstatic, but like, when you saw DJ hit that shot, did did media get all excited like we did as fans, or what was it? What was like your initial uh, reactions right then and there? Yeah, well, I try to keep a cool, calm, and collected, but yeah, internally, <laughs> I was going crazy. I mean, considering the environment, considering the expectations, many people thought we were going to get swept, and to go into that building as loud as it was to not only win the game, but to win it in dramatic fashion was, I still get chills thinking about it, actually. I mean, that's sure. how powerful and potent of a moment it was for the organization. And to be part of it made it even more special. But I think anyone who's been following the Magic for ho- however long they've been a fan could really tell that that was a significant time in team history and will always go down as one of the best moments of course, with many others. But again, I just think the whole ambiance of the situation made it that much more remarkable. And uh, and DJ is such a great guy, and I think it couldn't have happened to a better player in terms of how he handled it and what he's his whole trajectory in his career and being a journeyman, you know, throughout his professional life. To to have that moment, I thought was also really cool. Yeah, he's got that game winner under his belt now in like a yeah. huge in a huge setting, which is I mean, not a lot of people get those at all. Um, yeah, let alone game winners, let alone in a setting like that, you know, on the road playoffs, crazy. Um, slightly shift of of topic. How? What was it like in the middle of last year, and I guess even into this year, as a reporter 
you know, I guess now, I mean, everything has shifted, right? You guys are, your guys are interacting with the players virtually through, through zoom. Has that had a pretty big impact on, uh, on you and your ability to do your job? Um, what was it like? I mean, we all went through major shifts during the shutdown of, of the world last year and then trying to find new ways to do our work virtually. What was that like? Um, what was that like for you as a journalist? Well, certainly, I think it was a major transition at first, but over time, I've definitely gotten used to it. I'm someone, I think if you get to know me, you'll realize that I'm kind of a reserved person. I'm someone who likes to just lock in, go to work, get my writing in, and I'm not too concerned about the socializing aspect of it. Not to say that I'm antisocial, because I'm not, but I just, I love to write and I love to be in the zone. So for me, just staying in and watching basketball and writing about it is plenty. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the interaction with the players, we do have Zoom calls regularly that is organized for us. So if we ever need to speak to a particular player, obviously coach and, and talk to them for a story or whatever else we're working on, it's all available to us. We can schedule it based on need. And they'll also have, you know, organized, uh, you know, Zoom calls for the entire media. But uh, so as far as how it's affected me in doing my work, honestly, I don't think it's affected me that much other than, you know, I'm not on the road right now because of the protocols. And yeah, I mean, it's different when we, we would normally go to shoot arounds and practices and wait for the players to come out after they were complete with their session. But now... You know, it's really the same outcome. You know, sure. you ask the same questions regardless of whether you're doing it virtually or in person. So my answer to that simply is I don't think it really has affected me on that level to that extent. I thought it would have, but so far, nothing crazy, nothing substantial, which is great because I'm still able to do things at an effective and efficient level. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was lucky enough to be a part of a couple of media sessions during the bubble. Um, well, one or two before they tightened the restrictions a little bit, and they they seem to have a good system. I just it just seems like every now and then there's always that little nugget at like shoot around that you see a player doing something or something happens where you might not to get to visually see that. Um, which yeah, I guess could be a challenge for sure. Um, yeah, that was, a, I mean, Hey, t two years in a row of playoffs is really exciting. Uh, even though like the second year is weird with the bubble and all that, but it's still really yeah. fun. Um, and, and it's cool to see that certain players have learned from it. Right. Um, obviously we're not getting to see like what Jonathan Isaac, he's not really getting really much to experience because of all his injuries, but like Mark Fultz seemed to learn a lot from, last year's bubble and playoff experience to starting this year. I mean, also part of that was like shift of offense and stuff like that. Um, but I mean, let's just jump right into it. Nikola Vucevic has clearly learned from the playoffs the last couple of years. Um, you know, the Toronto series, he got worked. He had like one good game. Um, the Raptors or the, the Bucks series, on the other hand, he, he played phenomenal and the, the, the Bucks were just, they were just really good and we couldn't match up, but Vucevic, you know, three 30 point games, um, just, just monster monster. And then you see them, you see him carry that momentum from last year to this season. Vooch is a, you know, he's a pretty, 
approachable guy. What do you think? Do you think it's been more than just playing against uh, on that high level? Or do you think he's learned something like, I don't know, from your perspective, what do you think has, has, how has that all changed his approach to the game? Is he just more of an aggressive, give me the ball kind of the guy or just more confident in itself? Obviously his games evolved from practice, but it feels like there's got to be a mental shift in it. I don't know. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Well, first off, I think Vooch is one of the most unique players in NBA history. The fact that he was a full-time, first-time All-Star in his eighth season and now a multiple-time All-Star in the middle of his 10th season is quite unique. I mean, Kyle Lowry, for example, is a player that comes to mind that was a first-time All-Star in his eighth season. Now he's a six-time All-Star because he made it six straight years prior to this season. Paul Millsap's another one that was a late bloomer as far as becoming a perennial All-Star. Vooch, as we discovered fairly quickly after coming over from Philadelphia in 2012, was that he was far more skilled than anyone realized. And the the constant coaching changes, I think, did affect him because I think they were asking him to do different things. I mean, you think about his first season with Jacques Vaughn, low post threat, relentless rebounder. There really even wasn't much of a pick and pop game at that point. It was mostly just dump it down to him down low. He has some nice footwork, a nice touch around the basket, can go either side, baby hook, spin, move left, spin, move right, go baseline, turn around. He had that whole package. And that was his bread and butter. And then, of course, the rebounding side of the game was incredible. He set the franchise record for most rebounds in a game with 29 against Miami that year. And that was essentially the completion of his repertoire in year one. The next few years, which were a combination of Jacques, James Borrego, Frank Vogel, and Scott Skiles, I feel like his game was becoming kind of this in-between game. It, it almost felt like he didn't have a true identity of what he needed to be to be most effective. He developed a pick-and-pop game, so his mid-range shot was coming along. In fact, one year he shot an incredible percentage from 15 to 18 feet out. That was under Skiles, where he just really boomed from a mid-range shooting standpoint. So you felt like he's got the shooting touch to potentially extend his range beyond the three-point line eventually, like other centers have, Carl Anthony Towns, Marcus Soule, et cetera, Brooke Lopez. And I, I always always tell myself, I'm like, this guy's way too good of a shooter to not take threes, you know, especially as the game continues to evolve with the five-man stepping out. And... I really think Steve Clifford was the major influence to get the most out of him. I think Clifford is such a good coach and he really identifies what someone's strengths are and what someone's weaknesses are. And he's been able to capitalize on all of Uchish's strengths, not just the shooting component, which has blossomed the most recently, but the playmaking, the decision-making. I mean, this guy, and it's really, it's really unprecedented. He has a chance to make history averaging under two fouls under two turnovers while averaging over 20 points i mean that is an historical feat not to mention he's averaging under three free throw attempts per game in fact there's been no center in nba history that has averaged over 21 i believe while while also averaging under three free throw attempts so he's doing things that are very very unique so to sum that all up i just think the realization of his talents is what has propelled him to this level. And now, you know, pick and choose whether he's the third best center, second best center in the league, whatever. He's right up there with 
you know, Embiid, Jokic, Vooch, Bam Adebayo, whoever, whatever order you want to go. And his offensive package is incredible. He's an underrated defender. He's a, a vastly improved leader because everybody respects him. His teammates love him. He rarely makes mistakes, as I alluded to before. So you really can't even find a blemish in his game. And he's matured. You know, he's in his 10th season. He's now fully evolved. And I only think from this point on, we're going to see more and more develop in his game. He's 30. He's got more time. And I really think he can become a true perennial all-star, meaning, you know, he's two-time all-star now. I wouldn't be shocked if he's a three, four, five-time all-star when all is said and done. We'll see how that plays out. But he certainly has the mentality, the attitude, and, of course, the skills to do it. It's it's quite incredible to see what he's doing this year. I I didn't know if it was going to translate as well as it, you know, the playoffs, what he did the Bucks like consistently. And it's just been mind blowing to see night after night after night, yeah. you know, 30 point game, 40 point game. You know, it's just it's, it's incredible. Um, and it, it, it makes me, you know, I, I have a little bit of mixed feelings on this season on, you know, what the direction of the team should be, just to be quite honest with you as a fan, Josh. But to, to see Booch have the success that he is having is just it's it, it just doesn't do anything but make me happy. I've been a Booch stand this entire time. Um, you know, t- multiple Twitter battles over Nikola Vucevic. Uh, so it's just nice to see him just, you know, having the success that he have and, you know, yeah. feeling like we did. You know, that contract was a bit debated that he just got handed um, after his his last year. And it's great to just see him truly living up to every every moment and, and dollar of it. It's, it's incredible. Happy for him and the team. Um, touch on his defense real quick. How has Clifford been able to bring a guy that used to just get not talked about at all defensively to where, okay, he's, he's still not a rim protector, but he's definitely a much better defender than he has been in years past. What, what about, what, what has Cliff done to really help improve him w- with that aspect of his game? First and foremost, I would say all Steve Clifford coach teams going back to his years in Charlotte and now in his third year with Orlando as the head man, they're always disciplined and they always play smart defense. So that means limited fouls, low turnovers, just care, careful basketball, right? Methodical, disciplined, strategic, organized That is the approach that all Cliff coach teams have been since he's become a head coach. And that was the same with Stan Van Gundy and still is, you know, now that he's back in the game. But I think because he has the right coaching mentality to back him up, it makes it easier for Vooch to capitalize on his high basketball IQ. So he's a great positional defender. He has great technique. He doesn't have the greatest lateral foot speed, obviously. So if he's caught in pick and roll and he has to switch on to Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul or Steph Curry, he's going to be a little bit challenged, but he always makes the smart play and he's vocal. So if he needs assistance from a teammate, he'll know who to call over to get that assistance from. And again, if someone's attacking the paint and he's there to try to protect He understands when it's the right move to step back because sometimes, you know, you just don't want to foul the guy. It could be an N1, depending on who it is. 
Sometimes it is appropriate to foul because that player is not a good free throw shooter or he has the strength to make sure he doesn't get the N1. He just totally recognizes the play every single time. And having a 1.7 you know, foul rate per game for at his position is extraordinary. We went through the Dwight years. We know what it's like when you have your center in foul trouble all the time. He's never in foul trouble. And you could always rely on him to play in clutch moments every single game. You know, even the, the great centers of all time have always had moments where they're in foul trouble. I mean, Joel Embiid, not not to a terrible extent. He's actually improved in that lately. But you, know, you don't know for certain whether he's going to be available down the stretch because of foul issues. Even Jokic. Jokic commits a lot of fouls. So that's, to me, something you could really depend upon him defensively. And just knowing he's going to be on the floor in those critical moments, I just think is a major benefit. Someone asked me a while ago about Vuj's defense, and I think you make a really good point when you talk about... Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven! Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Him, just like one thing you said was him getting out of the way. What I think he does when he's defending down low now is he tries to do less. He used right. to get. He, it seemed like he used to get caught out so much because he would, he would either not help or overhelp if someone was coming on a left side and he's over here. Like he's just. See, it seems like Cliff has really helped him to understand when to help, when to go, when to put his hands up, and he just doesn't seem to be this someone who's who's. Sometimes I describe NBA defenders as like this. They 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 think defense is what their high school coach taught him to be. And that is just you defending with their arms, defending with their body and stuff. But a lot of time it's about decision-making, your positioning of your body, positioning of your feet. And what he does is he does less now, which I think makes him more effective rather than him just going, well, I need to be a good rim protector, so I'm going to try and jump, hop, and skip at everything that comes my way. And he doesn't do that anymore. And I think that means he gets caught out less. And that's the way I described it to a friend of mine who asked me about Vujic's defense a little while ago. And I think that has come with Cliff's coaching. It's a great point. I think it's spot on. I think it's so true. Again, it goes back to his high basketball IQ. I think he recognizes possessions. He understands the importance and the value of not committing silly mistakes, whether it be fouls or just simply reaching or just being out of position. Like he just is always aware and he processes the game so well. 
And that is probably the, the number one thing he's matured at the most over the years is just as recognition of the game. He's just a smart player. If he wants, I could see a scenario and I don't know what his future, you know, is out, you know, after playing basketball, but I could easily see him becoming a coach, whether it be in the NBA or in Europe or wherever, because he does have the, the, the psychological, so to speak, aspects of the game figured out. So I think he could be an excellent coach and he's obviously learning from a great one right now. Steven, just uh, to your point, one thing that I, I feel about the improvement in his game is I think those two playoff series are a really good testament to him because the Toronto series, you saw that you could tell that they understood, like, this is their one guy who's going to get points. This is their guy. You know, we cut the head off the beasts and dare the rest of the guys to beat us. And we saw what happened, like, because they were going at him. Siakam, Gasol, double teaming in the post. He's a good playmaker out of the elbow out of the post and that type of stuff. But I don't think at that point he was elite enough yet to really cover up Orlando's inefficiencies with its perimeter shooting and stuff that we had at the time. And then you saw him come back against Milwaukee. And I actually rate that game one against Milwaukee as one of my favorite Orlando games I've ever watched because Milwaukee didn't lose that game, which is what people would assume would be the case if something like that happened. We won that game. We were brilliant in that game one against Milwaukee. We we played like I'd never seen us play in years. And I think you saw him come back and and he, he was just this newly developed beast. And you see him now too. Like he's running out some nights playing again, playing with guys where I love and respect everyone who puts on an Orlando uniform. Like Stephen, we know they're our, they're our fully grown sons. You know what I mean? Like we love them, but they, he's playing with G League players some nights and he's unstoppable still. You know what I mean? Like teams know that they have to still go to him and 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 take away Orlando's best weapon. But now he's he's figured that out, you know, and he's he's above it. Like he is to me, in a traditional sense, he, he's right there with with Jokic and Embiid for me, like maybe just behind them when it comes to traditional bigs in the game. I think he's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And, and I mean, I've noticed it too. I can't break down X's and O's nearly as good as you all can. Um, but I mean, visually, you know, you can just see positionally that he's in the right spot and, and, and has grown and he's not that, I don't know, weak defender that he used to be. He's, you know, I don't, I, I wouldn't say he's an elite defender. I don't know how to even rate defense personally, but he's got to be at least average or better. You know, he's, he's really good. Um, a little bit of shift. We, we talked a little bit about Josh, you talked a little bit about his like vocal leadership on the court. What's it like off the court? And with this team really being like almost split down the middle with veterans closer to 30, and then you got a bunch of guys closer to 21. How, how do the, how do the young guys take to him um, being or, or mentorship? I know not every player is like, Hey, you know, let me put my arm over your shoulder and give you all my secrets. But, but how is his relationship with the younger players in a sense? You know, you have Mo Bamba who is in a hard situation at the moment. Um, you have, you know, Chumo Kiki and, and Jonathan Isaac. What, what's, what's it like with them and Vooch? They all love Vooch. And the one thing that's also really special about him is that he always has great temperament. He never gets swallowed up by the, the lows and he's never too elated by the highs. He's always at a medium. So I don't think players look at him and say, oh, he's really excited right now. So we must be excited too. Or 
he's really down right now. So we need to be really down as well. He's always in that middle ground. And I think that keeps other players level. I feel like there's a lot of players out there that get too high when they think things are going really well and they get too low when they think things are really bad. But there's something about Vooch's approach that you never sense that he's content, but you also never sense that things are terrible, right? No matter if the team had lost five or six straight or won five or six straight, he seems to keep this level approach that I think other players respect and value. And I think they want to follow in that same footstep. You know, they want to feel like no matter the circumstances, let's not get too emotional about the situation. Let's take it game by game. And I think that's probably the best attitude, the best way to handle a full NBA season. Because for most teams, there's going to be major highs and major lows. So you really can't get around that. So I think Vooch handles that really well. And I think that's part of why players admire him because he's a true professional. You know, he never pouts, never complains. He'll score five. I mean, he hasn't scored this low this season, but in the past, if he scored like five points, one game, he's the same way as when he scores 35. It doesn't seem to make a difference with him. So he's so unselfish, you know, like at the end, the thing that I've come to, to love about him myself is that he does not, you know, he's averaging 23.9 points right now, which is a career high, obviously. He doesn't care if he was averaging 10. If they're winning, he's happy. And you could tell he's genuine about that. And in seasons when he averaged 18, 19, which is respectable, he was never concerned about getting to that 20 point mark. And that's usually the barometer of like whether you're a good scorer or not, whether you can get to 20. He, he never was concerned if his average was 19.9. You know, it just doesn't matter to him. So whatever it takes for the team to win. And I think, again, I think players see that and they truly respect that. That's, that's great. It's, it's, uh, it's always interesting. I mean, you hear uh, Cole Anthony is awesome. And, I, and I, I'm just bringing, I'm transitioning to this because he, you hear him all the time talk about, his relationship with James Ennis and stuff like that. Um, so, so let's just shift there for a second to, to Cole Anthony and Chumo yep. Kiki. What do you see in those guys? Cause to me, I, I see two of the most NBA ready players that this front office have drafted since, right? Jonathan Isaac was a little raw. He definitely had like defensive flashes, but you know, his, his rookie season was a little rough. Um, then, you know, Mo Bamba is, you know, was really raw his rookie year. Definitely shown improvements and gotten a lot better, but, you know, definitely a little bit more of a couple-year project player to be, like, super impactful. Um, but now you have Chumo Kiki, missed a month for a bone bruise, but just seems to have, like, that extremely high IQ, knows when to make the right pass, um, knows when to shoot, uh, you know, just positionally always in the right spot. He's – I think this is now his – fifth game closing uh on in the fourth quarter i could be mistaken it could be six but i was i was keeping track there for a minute but he's been coach cliff clearly trusts him um cole anthony obviously got thrown into a really tough situation as a you know second unit player and then all of a sudden you know just a couple weeks in you're the starter for the foreseeable future um 
and he struggled in the beginning, but then he like, I, I forget who they were playing, but he had a game where it just seemed to like click and slowed down just a couple notches for him. What have you seen in those two players and how they've impacted the team and how the team has embraced them? Well, I'll start with Chuma and I don't think, hopefully I'm wrong on this, but I don't think he's ever going to dazzle anyone statistically, right? Like, I don't think he's ever going to offensively bloom into some sort of juggernaut of an offensive talent, but that was never the expectation for him when the magic first drafted him. He is the ideal intangible player. And a few guys come to mind as far as comparisons. And I've written about this a little bit in articles, but one Trevor Ariza, but a stronger frame. He kind of guards like Ariza and he moves like Ariza and he has the three and D potential like Ariza was in his prime, whether it would be with the, the Rockets or the Lakers or wherever. Another guy, and this is probably overinflating his stock a little bit, but Andre Iguodala, he's got some of the same instincts and anticipation that Iguodala had in his prime. And of course, Iguodala, you could argue, had better instincts than any other player in NBA history. I mean, the way he defends and the way he's able to intercept passes and get in passing lanes is truly extraordinary. But Chuma actually, per game, is leading the team in deflections. So that's an example of how he's able to get in those passing lanes and, and make a difference in that way. Uh, I definitely think as he evolves and, and strengthens, he's going to take a lot of charges. He's already taken a couple this year. So that will come as well. And he's so versatile that in pick and roll, whatever the traps, uh, he can essentially switch out onto anyone on the perimeter. He can move his feet really well. He's got amazing lateral foot speed. And his timing when he goes for a block, as we saw against the Warriors as a whole, that game – uh, he had three blocks. One of them was on Steph Curry. His timing is just incredible. So defensively, the value is sky's the limit. Like you could have pie in the sky dreams for him defensively because I think he has a chance to be a major difference maker on that end. I think offensively, the likely outcome, and of course, the, always the hope is that this guy can somehow emerge into something more. But he seems like the ideal three and D guy. Space to floor, spot up shooter, occasionally pull up, uh, occasionally attack and get to the basket. But I think to, to, for him to have a successful career, if he could be like an Ariza type, uh, Robert Ori, of course, you know, one of the most clutch players of all time, was someone else he draws comparisons to. And of course, they went to rival schools because Chuma went to Auburn and, and Ori went to Alabama. But they have a very similar shooting technique. Their length is about the same. So there's some similarities there as well. So that's Chuma, in my opinion, in a nutshell, and as far as comparing them. Can I jump in there before you yeah. move on to Cole? Um, so one uh, question about his offense, right? So my opinion, part of the reason why we've seen a little bit of like, is AG a three? Is he a four? What's his best position is just simply because we haven't had enough uh, shooting next to him at that other spot, whether it be the three or the four. Do you, and I, I don't want to completely ignore Jonathan Isaac because, you know, he's obviously in the team's long, long future plans, but do you see that, do you think John, Chumo Kiki's three and just what he can do offensively can be one of the better compliments next to AG when AG gets healthy um, as a player? Because to me, you know, having someone that can actually shoot at the, the, the way that Chuma can would actually open up a lot for Aaron Gordon. Um, just, just, I don't know. That's my personal take on, on AGM, why he's always kind of had like an, an awkward fit occasionally. Um, what are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah. So in my estimation, and I've heard other people talk about this as well, that when assessing positions, you really look at who guys are guarding. So like, if you want to call someone a small forward, it's because he's guarding a traditional small forward, or if someone's a four man, he's guarding a traditional four man. I think offensively positions are obsolete. Like, I just don't think it matters anymore what you want to call somebody because it's all, it's so interchangeable. I mean, obviously you need a floor general, you need a playmaker, but aside from that guys can do so many different things that you can plug them in into different roles and they still be effective. So to that point that you were bringing up about Chuma and AG together, especially if AG serving as a playmaker, which he was showing to be very effective at before his injury, I think Chuma definitely can play alongside of him. So to me, as a spot-up shooter, you need as many kick-out options as possible, whether it's AG, Evan, uh, Terrence occasionally, although he's more of an off-ball guy, and then, of course, Markel for next season. When those guys get into the paint, you need as many spacers as possible, and Chuma is the ideal spacer. I mean, that, to me, is going to be his forte as he continues to mature. So to, to answer your question, I think, yes, I think they can definitely gel together. And defensively, so to try to not make this too long-winded, the Lakers showed us something last year because everybody thought, including me, and I think the whole NBA universe thought, that you had to be like the Warriors from here on out for the rest of eternity to win championships. And of course, the Warriors had arguably the greatest big three of all time, if not the greatest one of the top three or four. But of course, they had a good defensive team, but really it was their offense that was so spectacular. The Lakers proved again that versatility on defense is the only surefire way to make sure you can keep your heads above water. I know, I know they have LeBron and AD, two of the greatest of all time. I, I get that. I mean, LeBron maybe is the greatest and AD is one of the top 50, whatever it may be. Um, but it was their defense that was so special. And it was because of the size they had up front and their wings were, enormous. I mean, Catavius Caldwell Pope, Rondo's length. You just had a whole package of defenders who can play different spots on that side of the floor. So when I look at the makeup of this magic team, to me, the mentality is right. You have so many versatile defenders who can switch onto anybody and have interchangeable roles. And depending on who they're playing, you can basically have different situations. So maybe AG is more guarding an, uh, an ISO score. Isaac's more of a help guy coming over from the weak side. Chuma can, he could probably battle down low in the post a little bit. So to me, there's just so many different components that you could work with when you have all these versatile defenders. So that would be my way of kind of analyzing that aspect of Chuma and how he can fit in with other guys on the team. I don't know what the future plans are. We don't need to speculate in the trades, but a lineup I would love to see is J.I. at the five, Chuma, uh, and and then Chuma and A.G. also on, in the forward spots. That If we could see that next year, I just think that would be super elite defensively and would I don't know. I think it'd be really fun. They could just switch on everybody. Yeah. Um, I, I know we're getting close to time. We've been talking here for a while, and I want to be respectful of your time, but if you have some quick fits – Quick thoughts on Cole. Uh, yeah. I'd love to hear just what you've seen. He's He just seems like a great kid that tries hard. And um, things really, before he got hurt, seemed to really start to lock in with him. Him and Booch started to just feel like they were making great chemistry together. 
Um, and for a guy his size, he seems to try really hard defensively. Um, so yeah, what do you, what do you I, I have one question after oh, sure. you speak after you speak about Cole, Josh. I just ask you, I want to ask you one question. Just yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so Cole is one of the most confident young players I've ever come across. I mean, this guy, I mean, even before the season, he's like, I'm gonna win rookie of the year. Now, of course, the injury is gonna prevent that from being a reality, but he plays with relentless confidence. I mean, there's nothing stopping him from potentially becoming a prolific scorer in the NBA as he continues to develop. I would describe him as crafty, creative, even though somewhat undersized, even for a one, just because you look at today's point guards and a lot of them are, you know, six, four, six, five and above Cole to me plays above his height. If that makes any sense. I think his arsenal is unlimited just because he has this acrobatic way of playing. He can maneuver around defenders. He can get around shot blockers. He has a nice touch around the basket, which to me is critical. Like I look at a guy like Jamal Murray, right? Like Jamal Murray. Now granted, Jamal Murray is a little taller than Cole, but Jamal does not have blazing speed. Does not have the sort of, oohs and ahs plays, you know, like that you'll see from, you know, Steph Curry's ball handling or Kyrie Irving's, you know, spin or cross or uh, obviously Russell Westbrook speed, John Moran speed. Um, you know, he doesn't have like Lonzo's vision, for example, but he has this craftiness and this touch that makes him very difficult to stop as we saw in the playoffs last year for Denver. I think Cole can follow in those footsteps if he has the same efficiency, it's all about efficiency for Cole. Sure. Because if he, he's for him, he's going to have to shoot high forties approach 50 regularly per season for him to be a truly effective score. Because we've seen guys in the league that can score a lot of points, but if they're only shooting 38, 39, 40% from the field, it's, it's high volume, low efficiency, which is not what you want. So for him, that's that's the key. I mean, that that's totally the key. And and defensively, he plays hard. He takes charges. Uh, he's very pesky. He gets in your face. So he plays with the energy and the fuel that's necessary to be a good defender. You know, he doesn't have the size, the length. You know, it's going to hurt him inevitably. But uh, he's willing to try. So that's that's key. Because we've seen guys come across, you know, not just the Magic, but in the league that like won't even try. So he he clearly passes that test for sure. If there's any coach that I think can help him with his shot IQ and, and getting his attempts to be more efficient attempts, uh, it's definitely Cliff. Uh, you know, yeah. Cliff is Cliff is smart. He's a great development coach, in my opinion. He's not perfect, but he I think in developing, he is he's he's very well. I mean, if if I mean just I mean, Vooch is simple as that. You know, look what he did for him, and almost every player on the team has had a career year in some aspect under him. So I think him and Cliff will be a really good pair going forward. Uh, Luke, go ahead, man. Josh, um, I wanted to ask you kind of about the developmental status of our roster at the moment. Um, Bamba, Isaac, Chuma, Cole, Markel, we've, we've got a, a group of young guys all in different stages, you know what I mean, like yeah. uh, of development. And I wanted to kind of get your perspective as someone who's got a fair bit of insight on the team. A little while ago, maybe it's season or two ago, there was an interview with Victor Oladipo and he was kind of asked about his time in Orlando. Now, obviously his time in Orlando, um, there was Alfred, Mario, Mo Harkless, Tobias. There was a huge influx of like developmental situations. 
Um, a lot of cross-position issues, guys maybe team unsure of who played what, what they were capable of. And he made some comments that kind of alluded to the fact that it wasn't a great developmental environment due to them kind of being pitted against each other to an extent. I can't remember exactly how he worded it, but yeah. it was a couple of seasons ago. From a fan's perspective, I understand that winning is going to help create a better environment. And I know we have a different front office and I know we have a different coach. But I wanted to get your perspective as someone who was around then when we were we, we had a group of young guys and we were really bad and there was a lot of confusion about who was what and who, what, what everyone's ceiling was as opposed to now where there's still those questions but we're a good team the guys seem to be coming along. The players don't seem to be kind of iffy with one another. And one another, sorry, we have a really good culture. What would you say is the biggest difference between now and then, outside of the obvious of winning, when it comes to how we're developing our young players? So I would say the big difference, comparing, let's say that 2014, 15, 16 era, where on paper I, I, I've thought a lot about this because you think oh, about the roster. Kept, and, it's kept me up at night, man. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> trust me, I know. 2015, 16. You look at it: Vooch, Oladipo, Tobias Harris, Aaron Gordon, Fournier. You know, Alfred had his moments, of course. Uh, I think at that time they all thought they were brought in to be the star. I mean, because at that time, there was no real hierarchy. Like, nobody really knew who was better than who. I mean, at that time, argument could have been made that Tobias was better than Vooch, that Alfred was better than Oladipo. Like, nobody really knew for sure, like, who's better than who. It was a constant debate. Like, nobody knew who was going to take the lead. And they all wanted to take the lead, I think, at that time. They were all young, inexperienced. And so you can kind of assume that with players that were generally all high draft picks. Oladipo was second. Gordon was fourth. Uh, Alfred was 10th. I mean, you know, Mario Hazonia was fifth when he was there. I mean, you had a lot of guys that all just assumed they were brought in to be a star. Because I think if you're a high draft pick, you kind of assume that, right? I mean, you picked high. I mean, they think you're really good. You got to become a star. But I think by the time Isaac, Bamba, and obviously Cole and Chuma have come in, it, everything's kind of been established in a sense. Like we know Vooch is everybody knows Vooch is the best player on the team. Everybody kind of knows what, what Gordon's role is with the team. Evan's role is with the team. So I think when those guys came in, whether it's Isaac or Bamba, whoever, they just had the recognition to know like, okay, it's not my time yet. Let's see how this plays out. Let me develop behind the scenes, work on my game, get myself adjusted to the NBA ranks and we'll see where the chips may fall, right? Because in Isaac's case, I mean, you asked, I mean, and you guys have seen it. I think most people would agree. Isaac has a chance to be like special. Like I'm not, you know, in terms of, especially defensively, he's got a chance to be among the all time best. And I, that's, a, that's a huge statement. If he's healthy, Isaac could end up being perennial depoy. To me, there's, I think last year he showed that. Now questions about his health. We all know that. And we don't know if he'll ever blossom into a great offensive player, but uh, you know, to me, there's a lot, I think, of work going on behind the scenes. And until those guys figure out where they place in the NBA, I think they're fine in developmental mode, right? Until they really get to the point where they feel like they could be contributing at a higher level, which back then with Oladipo and so forth, they wanted it right now. I don't think there was a waiting period with those guys. And 
not to disrespect them, of course, because they're all really good players. I mean, Tobias was a borderline all-star this year. Old Depot has been an all-star before now. It's just tough when you put all these young guys together and they all want to be the star. And I think that's probably what hurt them at that time. Because, yeah, on paper, you know, if you put that team together now, it's pretty good. I don't know if it's good enough to get to, let's say, the conference finals, but it's not too far off. I mean, you know, an Oladipo, Tobias, Vooch, Fournier, four with, let's just say, Alfred is still the starting point guard. Or if you, you, you throw a, you know, throw DJ in there, whoever, like, it's pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's pretty good. So, you know, everything's timing, I guess. Mm. I mean, that's the way I kind of look at it. Yeah. That's a, that's a like really great answer. Like it's really pretty bang on to kind of look at it and just be like, well, they know the pecking order when they come in now, you know what I mean? Right. Like ultimately Vooch's team, Evan and AG, your two and three guys. And it probably does help facilitate, I guess, less pressure on their development. It puts the coaching staff in a better position. And you're right. Like looking back, all you need to do is list it. Like, oh yeah, we had a, we had a second pick, a, a fourth pick and a fifth pick all on our team within years. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, that's a crazy environment for these young kids to come into. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah that, that's, that's a great answer. And, and I also think, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, Rob Hennigan, the prayer GM was with the thunder before, of course he's back with them now, but he saw what happened with those original thunder. Mm. Kevin Durant in 07, Russell Westbrook in 08, James Harden in 09, Serge Ibaka mixed in there as well. And I think when you see that play out, I think most people just think that's that's the ticket. Like that's the only way to do it. Like Philadelphia went through that with Sam Hinkie. You know, they thought get the high draft pick every year, four straight years, and you get him, you get at least two or three right, and he's put them together and it's gonna it's gonna be magic. Not not in Orlando magic term, but in you know, literal. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just not that simple, I guess. Right. I mean, you just, to me, you hope to get great players wherever you get them, but they have to all be, you know, in the right time zone, so to speak. I, I, that's how I look at it. You gotta have the, you know, I think with the young players too, you have to have the, the veterans to help balance them out and also show them the ropes where I think, you know, it's been said multiple times where, you know, JJ and Jameer were probably traded away a season or two too early. And the, the, there was just no veteran stability with a lot of those older teams. Or if they were veterans, maybe they weren't like fully committed to what was going on. Um, you know, and you, and you can see that in other teams too, where, you know, the Suns are a perfect example. Sure, they had a run in the bubble there for a little bit, but up until that point, that team was a shit show. And now you have Chris Paul added and, and, and it's a completely different culture because you have a veteran there to help, help do that. And, you know, I think you could have a situation like that again with a team like Sacramento, but I don't think they've brought in the right veteran to really, I mean, it also helps, you know, Chris Paul is a hall of famer, right. And he's, you know, perennial all-star at some point talent matters um, with the type of veterans you're bringing in, but I, I think that, that a balanced roster roster also has a lot to do with, with, with all the points that you added as well. You know, people knowing their roles and their positions and just also the goals of the team. I actually never thought about that thunder run affecting Rob's strategy until just now. And it makes total sense. 
total sense. Yeah, I wasn't insinuating that was necessarily his mindset. I'm just saying. No, but yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. I, I think league wide, and since, like I said earlier about the the Warriors, right? There's only one ticket to win a championship. You got to be like the Warriors. You got to form this incredibly, you know, spectacular offensive trio. And it's the only way. And of course, you know, what the Nets are doing now, I think they're following suit to that. But the Thunder were kind of the originals of like, you know, if you hit the jackpot three straight years in the draft, you think that's the only way, right? You got to keep scoring these high draft picks and got to hit them each time and got to form this, you know, big three. And that's how you're going to form a championship team without being able to spend in free agency or do what Miami did when they got LeBron and Bosch with Wade. Like, you know, there, I think there are other ways and part of it is, is draft. Part of it is trades. Part of it is free agency, but I think you definitely chemistry is underrated. I think immensely like you could, and we'll see how it plays out this year, but last year wasn't, I mean, would you guys agree that the Lakers and Clippers talent wise seem like they were neck and neck. I mean, like Mm -hmm. I couldn't differentiate. I don't know who's going to win, but it showed who had the better chemistry. Like the Lakers were just so much more gelled together. Like they clicked at a level that was so far superior to what the Clippers did and any of the other elite teams in the West that to me, even though they have LeBron, I'm not, I'm not, you know, you can't ignore that. I get it. But to me, they were locked in in a way that the other teams weren't. And that's why they were able to surpass those other elite teams who maybe talent wise are on the same level. Uh, We'll see how it plays out this year. I mean, it's a little different with AD being hurt, but uh, I thought that was a difference last year. So there's a lot of dimensions, I guess, to winning in the end. It's not sure. just talent. It's also the whole chemistry component. Totally, totally. Well, Josh, we've we've talked for about an hour now, and uh, I, we could keep going on and on, but at some point I can, we're going to have to call it quits and maybe pick this up another time. Yeah. There's there's countless more questions I'd love to, to pick your brain about, and, but we'll, we'll hopefully we can do this another time. Um, thank you so yep. much for uh, for coming on the podcast. Uh, if you have any articles or anything you want to plug or your social, go ahead and you can do that now. I mean, I'd imagine every listener that's listening to this would know who you are, but just go ahead. And, you know, yeah, no, I'm on Twitter, uh, Josh underscore Cohen underscore MBA. I'm not a huge Twitter guy. I'll just post articles that I do, but I don't like tweet endlessly. It's just not my thing. So, uh, but, but to get like articles and stuff, that's where I would post them. In addition to just finding them on OrlandoMagic.com. I'll only post like, maybe 25 30 percent of my articles on twitter so if you don't find it on there you can always go to the team's website and it's located there as well awesome awesome well josh i appreciate it thanks again good luck the rest of the season and thank we'll you. hope to catch up with you soon thank you guys thank you
Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.